God's mercy, they could still come there to meet God. This was their holy of holies. What I believe that we are finding here is God is establishing a place for Adam and Eve and as well for their descendants who will walk by faith to come back and to meet with God. And I believe that this is established as the place where even old Cain and Abel are going to come back to. And we'll look at this when we get to chapter 4 in a few weeks. right? We're going to have a few. We'll get there. We're going to see here, I believe that they come back to this place. Why? Because it is the place where God shed innocent blood to clothe guilty people. It is a place where God shed innocent blood to clothe guilty sinners. It is a place where God then set up a flaming sword and the cherubim. Why? To show that God's mercy is there and that there is a way, not physically anymore to that tree of life, but spiritually through faith. Not by the sacrifice of bulls and goats or even bringing vegetables or the first fruits, but rather by faith. Let's move on here. Another commentator writes, to keep the way of the tree of life, or to render it impossible for man to return to paradise and eat of the tree of life, hence there appeared by their side the flame of a sword, apparently in constant motion, cutting hither and thither, representing the devouring fire of the divine wrath and showing the cherubim to be ministers of judgment. With the expulsion of man from the Garden of Eden, paradise itself vanished from the earth. Now physically it's still yet there, but being guarded, God did not withdraw from the tree of life its supernatural power, nor did he destroy the garden before their eyes, but simply prevented their return to show that it should be preserved until the time of the end, when sin should be rooted out by the judgment and death abolished by the conqueror of the serpent, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, and when upon the new earth the tree of life should flourish again in the heavenly Jerusalem and bear fruit for the redeemed, Revelation 20 and 21. Now the flaming sword is of interest though. Because the flaming sword reminds us of several things. The Bible calls itself, even, the Word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword. It describes in the book of Revelation when Jesus speaks and defeats His enemies that out of His mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword. So what does a sword do? Well, it represents the Word of God, but as well it represents divine judgment. But yet, with the judgment of God's Word, what else do we find in God's Word? We find it dripping not just with judgment, but with grace and mercy. And that when God judges, He does so righteously and with his, all of His holiness and with a justice in mind to, uh, to bring a man uh, back to God. Phillips writes, a fitting symbol of God's wrath against sin. While we find this passage dripping with God's grace and mercy, we also find the seriousness of sin. How do we know? Because an innocent one had to die for the guilty one. So God certainly takes sin seriously. If you want to look even further at the seriousness of sin, look no further than the cross. God the Father did not give Christ the Son an easy way out. He did not spare Him a a moment of wrath being poured out upon Him for your sin and mine. Not for one second did the darkness roll away, not until it was finished. But the moment it was finished, the way was opened. Not a physical way, but the spiritual way by faith in what He has accomplished as the Word and work of God. Kidner writes about the cherubim. He says, The cherubim, God's multiform and awesome throne bearers in Ezekiel's vision, are seen elsewhere as symbolic guardians of the Holy of Holies. Their forms embroidered 
on the veil that barred access to it and modeled above the ark. At the death of Christ, this veil was rent in two and the way to God thrown open. In fact, as well as symbol. That's right. J.L. got it. Rest, y'all, if you need me to read it again, I'll read it again. You can read it yourself. What we find there is that in the Old Testament, what does God give? The tabernacle. What does He do in there? On the curtain or the veil to the Holy of Holies, what's woven in? Anybody remember? Cherubs. What then do we find on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant? We'll get into that in just a second. All right, so y'all hang tight. Find cherubs. What do we find then in the temple? The same thing. But what do we find being ripped from top to bottom the moment Jesus cries, it is finished and, and the price has been paid? What do we find? The way has been made open. No longer do we have to go through a priest. No longer do we have to go through a blood sacrifice of an animal. But the sacrifice has been done by not just a, a high priest, but the great high priest, the, the great prophet, the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is His blood that has been the sacrifice because only His blood is sufficient enough to pay the price for your sins and to open the way for all to enter by faith. God has closed the garden physically, but opened up true paradise to those who will enter by faith alone. And let's look at the tabernacle garden here. We're rolling right on along here. <laughs> the tabernacle was a meeting place between God and man. But notice this about the tabernacle. Was the tabernacle a permanent place? Let's try this again. This is y'all's turn, all right? Y'all, y'all, your, your turn to shine here. Was the tabernacle a permanent place? There we go, all right. Was the temple a permanent place? It was supposed to be, but it wasn't, was it? No. What do we find? And let's look at this, right? What does Revelation 21 and 22 tell us? There's no more temple there. Why? Because God dwells with man. There's no more need of it. So what are we longing to look forward to? Those things are to be a picture of what things are meant to be. And when Christ made the way, He tears it. Now we don't have to go have a high priest enter in on our behalf because now we've had one who has entered in on our behalf once and for all to make a way so that we can enter through Him through His sacrifice, by putting our trust in Him, that no longer one day, we're not just getting the new heavens and new earth, we're not even getting a, a pretty temple or anything like that. We've got the Lord. He's there and we're there and it's enough. But The tabernacle was meant to be a place that they used to meet with God, where God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to the people, and where once a year the Day of Atonement took place to atone or to cover the sins of the people. But guess what? It only happened once a year and it had to happen a certain way, a certain time. We'll look at that just a moment. Matter of fact, turn, turn with me to uh, Exodus 25. In that, as they travel in the wilderness, what do they have to do? Tear down, pack up the tabernacle, head on out till God says stop. And then once they stop, they keep on going and then they, they set up shop. They do the whole thing over and over and over again. Why? Because what was God trying to get them to? promised land. How are they to enter into the promised land? By faithful obedience. How do you and I enter in to His rest? By faith. Same way. But the issue, why did they have to go wander in the wilderness? Sin. What does sin do? It causes us 
to not receive what God has intended for us to receive. So you and me, in our Christian life, what happens when we sin? We are the ones missing out. We're the ones missing out on what God intended for us to have. And is there anything sweeter in this life than a moment of sweet fellowship with God? Knowing that He is not just going before you, which we all, we all know that. Theologically. God's before us, right? God's making a way. God's ahead of us. He's in the future. Yeah, He is. But He's right here right now as well. Walking with you right now. He knows your hurt. He knows your heartache. He knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. He knows it. As a matter of fact, in Christ, He identified as that. He knows your pain and has experienced and bore your pain. Not just your sins, but even borne your sorrows and your griefs. Exodus 25, 10-22. Let's read here. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Sounds like a nursery rhyme, don't a little bit. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. It's pure. Within and without shalt thou overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof and two rings shall be in the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark and the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put in the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Notice. And thou shalt make two cherubim of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat, shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Let me stop right there for a minute. What's the focus on? It's not the beauty of the angels. No. It's what's happening there on that mercy seat. The Day of Atonement is not about that priest. The Day of Atonement isn't even so much about uh, how, what, how big or how small the animal sacrifices are. What's it about? What's taking place on that mercy seat? That blood shed for people. What do we find here in the garden where God sits these cherubim? It's not for us to look at, oh my, those cherubim are sure are scary keeping me from the way. Or man, that sword sure looks sharp. Or man, these thorns out here sure look pointy. But no. My sin is vile and wicked and I'm wretched, but God's mercy is right there. What do those cherubs look at? They're looking at the mercy seat because what takes place there? Atonement. Forgiveness. Redemption. Have you sinned lately? I have. You lost a little bit of fellowship sometimes or just been in a rut? I have. You know what God now sees? The mercy seat. He sees what Christ has accomplished. You know what you and I must focus on? Not our sin. But we must look steadfast like these cherubim at what Christ has accomplished on the mercy seat of God. 
continues. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. What do we find at the cross? What do we find at the cross? A man representing man, dying for man, perfect and sinless. And yet at the very same time we find the God-man who is representing God, righteous and holy and just and gracious and full of mercy, ready to pardon iniquity unto generation after generation by faith. What do we find together? The mercy seat of God. We find that God meets man at the mercy seat. What do we find here in Genesis chapter 3? Though man is driven from the garden, there is a place to meet at the mercy seat. A beautiful picture of what Christ, the seed of the woman, would do. Make the perfect sacrifice for man and God to be reconciled together. It says, And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. This was the mode of worship now established to show God's anger at sin, to teach the meditation of a promised Savior as the way of life, as well as of access to God. They were the same figures as afterwards were in the tabernacle and temple, and now, as then, God said, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims. The gardener presented God's presence on earth. And so the cherubim also seemed to serve as the gatekeepers to God's presence there at that mercy seat. Blood is shed for covering in order to have atonement and fellowship with God. Now, as we understand the Day of Atonement, what do we find here? On the Day of Atonement, there was a series of sacrifices made. Of these, one was a bull for the sin of the high priest, and a second was a goat for the sin of the people. Leviticus 16, 11-17 describes the process for offering these two sacrifices. And it was unique among all the other sacrifices offered. For each of these two sacrifices, the high priest would take some of the blood of the sacrifice through the curtain and into the most holy place. He would also take a censer of coals and some incense whose smoke would hide the mercy seat so that the priest would not die. God was dwelling above the mercy seat so to see the mercy seat would be to see God, and that was fatal. The high priest would then sprinkle blood on the mercy seat as well as in front of it and in the way he made atonement for his own sin and the sin of the people. To see God and all that He is means death, but yet in what Christ has done on the mercy seat that one day you and I will see God face to face. He has made a way when there was no way. God is driving man out of the holy of holies of the garden and from accessing physically the tree of life while foreshadowing the day of atonement for Israel and the greater day of atonement at the cross. God has provided access and atonement through His promise and His provision found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you and I might see God one day not die, but that we will see God and live. And live forever. And live as we were meant to be. To perfectly know Him. 
and to know as we were known. And though right now it seems as a a figure and a shadow and this sort of covering that we can't fully grasp and understand it, the moment your eyes see Him on His throne, this will all be clear. That smoke there in the Holy of Holies was meant to protect the high priest and to remind them of that same pillar of fire and a cloud. God's presence. One day we won't need a single one of those anymore because we will be with Him and He with us. Tonight, for sake of time, you can look and see Romans 3, 24-25 for God's salvation that He offers. Hebrews chapter 9-10. through chapter 10. And you can see what Christ has accomplished to make the way. I love what old J. Vernon McGee said here. He said, in order to have the skins of animals, the animals have to be slain. He's a pretty smart man, isn't he? (laughs) I believe that this is the origin of sacrifice and that God made it clear to man. God rejected their fig leaves but made them clothing of skins and when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they looked back upon a bloody sacrifice. When they looked back, they saw exactly what God had Moses put on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Two cherubim looking down upon the blood that was there. And that was the way to God. All must trust in God's promise and provision in order to one day return to enjoy that tree of life in the new paradise of God, Revelation 21 and 22. I want to wrap this all up for you tonight. Last week, those of you who remember at the very end, I said I had something I was going to share with you, but I didn't. And if you came back, I'd share it with you. Well, you came back. <laughs> I'm going to share it with you. There's a song that I found. I don't know the tune, and I'm not going to sing it for you because you don't want that, and that would just ruin everything. The song is called Clothed in Righteousness. Fallen race in Eden fair, exposed and full of shame. Fled we naked from thy sight, far from thy holy name. Clothe us in your righteousness. Hide filthy rags of sin. Dress us in your perfect garb, both outside and within. Sent from the garden in the east, outside of Eden's gate. Banished there from thy pure light were Adam and his mate. Clothe us in your righteousness. Hide filthy rags of sin. Dress us in your perfect garb, both outside and within. Scarlet souls are now like snow by thy atoning grace. Crimson hearts become like wool for Adam's fallen race. Clothe us in your righteousness. Hide filthy rags of sin. Dress us in your perfect garb, both outside and within. No work of ours is good enough for evil to atone. Your merit, Lord, is all we have. It saves, and it alone. Clothe us in your righteousness. Hide filthy rags of sin. Dress us in your perfect garb, both outside and within. Tonight, what we find as we close up chapter 3 is not this terrible place where we go, oh, this is awful. But rather, what we find is exactly what God has given for us to know. And that is this. The mercy seat has been sprinkled with the perfect, precious, and sufficient blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the righteous and last Adam, has made access and atonement to all who trust in His promise, His Word, and His provision, 
His work by faith. Tonight, what you and I have is the great truth and promise is that though the physical way of the tree of life has been barred for man to enter through, yet through Christ's precious blood, there on the mercy seat, you and I now have access to God. You and I now have access. Not by our merit or our works or our fig leaves or anything that we could ever produce and not a physical road to take, but rather the way of the cross. The way, the right way, the only way of grace through faith in Christ. May we praise the Lord that there is a way. And one day, that those of us who have partook of the tree of life spiritually will one day partake physically in a new heavens and a new earth in an eternal and glorious day with our Savior ever-present with us. Let us pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this night. God, we're grateful that we can study your word. And Lord, I thank you that you have given so much depth and so much richness in this for us to not have just some filled heads, but God, that our hearts would be filled. You provided a way for guilty, sinful man through the precious blood of Jesus. God, that there is a way to the tree of life and it is found at the old rugged cross. May each one of us carry that truth in our heart and on the tips of our tongue that we might shout your praises, that we might spread this glorious truth that there is a way that you have made it. And it is by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the opportunity to meet and to gather and to study your word. I pray that you go before us, go with us, and that we trust in you and be used of you in a mighty way. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. Y'all